0: Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we find ourselves today in Second Kings chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 25. Remember, beloved, always remember, these are the very written words of God. This picks up from the story that we were looking at last week. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him, saw Elisha, Opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, behold now, there are with your servants 50 strong men. Let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught Elijah up and cast him on some mountain. Or into some valley. And Elisha said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men. And for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to Elisha while he was staying at Jericho, and said to them, Did I not say to you, Don't go? Now the men of the city, that's of Jericho, they said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, it looks beautiful, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Elisha said, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said... Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water, and from now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears, two mother-bears, came out of the woods and tore or mauled 42 of the boys. From there he went up to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. You know, friends, there are some passages in the Bible that on the surface can seem troubling and confusing. And I think we might agree that this would fall into that category. In fact, this story in particular got lots of attention when it was featured briefly on the very popular podcast of Joe Rogan who's not a Christian and is bald, okay? And so when he was spending some time making fun of Bible passages that he thought were humorous and kind of ridiculous, he cited this as his very favorite passage because he's bald, and then he begins to read from it kind of in a derisive way. And so he's describing it to his guest, Douglas Murray. He says, quote, my favorite, meaning my favorite Bible passage is where this guy is getting mocked by children and God called upon a she-bear and she comes down, they come down and tear apart these boys for making fun of his bald head. He said, a guy like me, I'm bald. To which his guest, Douglas, mockingly said, well, if there was ever a time for God to enter into history, this would be a time, okay? This would not be something the God of the Bible could just let go by any stretch, okay, and he makes fun of the Bible, to which Joe responded, young kids, they just said to him, go up, you bald head, which is very mild, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and he pointed out that the name of the Lord was in all caps. I think he thought that was for emphasis. He didn't understand that was God's covenant name. If he did, perhaps that would have made it worse for him. He says, then two she bears tore up 42 of the lads. And then Elisha went from there to Mount Carmel. It's like Elisha was saying, no big deal, got it done, on with the next thing. As if there was no compassion, no understanding, or any of the like. Sadly, that is a tragic misunderstanding of that passage. I don't know how Joe Rogan would respond if someone lovingly, genuinely, I bet he would not have said this if he understood the greater context of this passage, that it's actually a window into the character of God, to the severity of God, but also the kindness of God. I really would like to think he would respond differently. But like him, many people cite this story as to why they don't take the Bible seriously, because the punishment just doesn't seem to what? On the surface, the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. It seems like a gross exaggeration. But first, let me tell you what it's not. I think at the end of the day, you will see how this passage fits into the storyline of the Bible, how it points to the person and work of Christ, and how, at the end of the day, it is actually a great encouragement to the people of God. And that's kind of cool how something that seems obscure and unrelatable is actually very relevant. First, let me tell you what it's not. This is not a story about an overly sensitive man with male pattern baldness losing it on a bunch of kindergartners. okay? That's not what happened here. What is happening is very serious, and like I said, it offers us a window a window into the very character of God. It offers to us, it teaches us important truths that we need to learn. Let's look at our text. Let's see what sense we can make of this most intriguing and interesting and colorful of passages. Let's go to verses 15 through 18. 15 through 18, it sets the stage for all that follows. Verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets... Think of these prophets as like prophets in training. Elijah had been training up prophets for many years. We call these prophets the sons of the prophets. We don't know exactly where they originated, but there was a school for prophets. And they were in training. And so they had been following Elijah and Elisha. Verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho... Alison Crow, I'm sorry I did not include the map. I should have included the map. We love the map. Imagine in your mind's eye where Jericho is, you know, maybe in the center of Israel, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, and just to the east of the Jericho, the city of Jericho is what? The Jordan River. And just to the east of that is where Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind, escorted by the chariots of fire. So the sons of the prophets, they had been watching this. They had been following Elijah and Elisha as they went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho, and then they go east across the Jordan. And then where does Elijah go? He's taken up by the whirlwind. He's translated into glory. These sons of the prophets, they knew this was happening. They had been following Elijah and Elisha. And now when Elisha comes back by himself... And they saw him part the Jordan River with Elijah's cloak. I know this can give you tired head. There's a lot of details. And I feel sorry for you if you weren't here last week or you're not familiar with this story because there's lots of details here. Verse 15, the sons of the prophet, they were at Jericho. So they had followed Elijah and Elisha. They had waited there, as it were, for Elisha to come back. So they see Elisha. He's come back from across the Jordan. They said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. How did they know that? What did they see Elisha do? As a southern boy, I have a hard time distinguishing Elijah from Elisha. They just run together, okay? I have a hard time enunciating. At any rate, how did the sons of the prophet, how did they know Elisha was Elijah's prophetic air. What did they see? They saw him take Elijah's cloak, his mantle as it were, and do what? Strike the Jordan River. What happened to the Jordan River? It parted. What did Elisha do? He walked back into Canaan on dry land. That confirmed to this prophetic school that he was Elijah's heir and had Elijah's spirit resting on him okay they recognized his new status second half of 15 they came to meet him they bowed to the ground before him so they recognized his new status verse 16 and they said to him now if you were there and in the story this seems totally counterintuitive okay so they said to him behold now There are with your servants 50 strong men. In other words, Elisha, we have 50 men at our disposal, okay? Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord caught Elijah up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. That wouldn't seem to be very nice, right? for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven and then like chunk him on some mountain somewhere, just drop him down like maybe his parachute didn't work or something like that. That's probably not what was going on. At that time, I don't think they had a a distinction between like, I think they thought that Elisha's spirit, Elijah's spirit went up to be with the Lord and that maybe his body was somewhere. And I think they felt guilty, they felt responsible that they had to give to Elijah's body an honorable burial. They didn't understand that he went up body and soul to be with the Lord into heaven. And so they felt, they felt earnestly like they had to go find him. So they say this to Elisha. Verse 16, Elisha said, you shall not sin like he's gone for good. There's no point in doing this. You're not going to find him. You don't need to sin. Which I think seemed a little insensitive To the sons of the prophets, they're like, well, don't you care about your master? What if his body is lying on some mountain somewhere? Wouldn't we want to know that and give him a proper burial? Look at verse 17. Remember how these guys are, these sons of the prophets. They're nothing if they're not persistent. Remember how they kept irritating Elisha? Don't you know, today's the day your master's going to be taken. What did Elisha say? Could you just be quiet and keep quiet? Now they're kind of haranguing him and harassing him to do this and they made him feel bad. They made him feel guilty till he says in the middle of 17, send already. Okay, just do it. So they send out the 50 men. And for three days they sought Elijah, but they did not find him. And they came back to him, to Elisha, while Elisha was staying at Jericho. And he, Elisha, said to them, Did I not say to you, hello, did I not say, do not go, do not send? I can relate to this a little bit. Just this past week, we had a family dinner with the in-laws, okay? I think the dinner was around six, a little on the earlier side. Um, It was late in the day. I am known to do this. I can be a little impulsive at times, to say the least, like my sweet father. So I got a wild hair about 45 minutes before we were to leave to this very nice dinner that it's time to wash one of the cars that was dirty and fill it up with gas. To which my lovely wife said, "Honey, you don't have enough time to do that. We can do that another time. We know how you can get. Can we just like 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 cool it down?" I was like, "I'm going I've got plenty of time. I'm going to do this, okay? I got it under control. Just just relax. I got this. So I think I would have had it, okay? Things did not go as planned. <laughs> Leave the house in a rush, okay, because we only have 45 minutes, okay, to go to this nice dinner where you have to wear a jacket and all this stuff. Off I go. I realized right before the car wash that I forgot my wallet in my haste when I left, Things went through my mind that I just confessed during the confessional time. (laughs) Got back home, said, okay, plan A didn't work. We still have time for plan B. So I pulled Jack's car that I was trying to get washed after his out-of-town trip. Okay, and I thought, good idea. I'll wash Stephanie's car, too. Then she'll be happy, not realizing it's 96 degrees outside. It's almost 100 There's an argument about the timing. She says, I came in six minutes before it was time to go, profusely sweating, okay. About 15 minutes later, we're in the car. I've got my jacket on. I'm telling her we need to take the car to the dealership because the airflow in the AC isn't strong enough because I'm so hot. And she sits there like an angel And she said, honey, your timing was unfortunate. (laughs) That was Stephanie's way of saying, I told you so. (laughs) In a very sanctified way. That's what Elisha was telling the prophets. I told you so. Why didn't you just listen to me? I told you you weren't going to find his body. Why is this recorded, do you think? Do you understand how... How limited the materials were to write a book like this on these kinds of parchments and whatnot. Like every word had to be carefully chosen. There were endless stories that the writer could have included. Why would the writer include this particular storyline? To confirm to us and to confirm to the reader To listen to God's prophet Elisha. That to listen to Elisha is to listen and respond to the very word of God. What this man in his prophetic office says is true. When he speaks the wisdom of God, you need to listen. So what was this for the original reader? It was further confirmation. When he told them, you don't need to go, they didn't listen. And then he said, didn't I tell you that? Listen to Elisha. He speaks God's word. It sets it up for the next two narratives. Okay, here we go. Verses 19 through 22. Now the men of the city, what city are we talking about? We're still in Jericho, just across from the Jordan River, just to the west. The men of the city, not the prophets, the men, the leaders of the city of Jericho, they come out and said to Elisha, behold the situation of this city is unpleasant I'm sorry the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees like it looks good this place looks like a great place to build a city externally as my Lord sees but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful they would have a hard time Raising crops there, the agriculture would be very difficult. So this is, this is again, a, a, a symbol to the reader, a sign to the reader. Now, now people are getting it. Now the men of Jericho, they've recognized who he is. They recognize that he's God's ambassador. And they come in humility and they ask for help, okay? Verse 20, he, Elisha, said... Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And salt in that context, the new bowl, the salt, that would have been symbolical of what? Of purification. Throwing salt in the spring would be an outward sign of purification. What do they do at the end of verse 20? Again, sometimes, you know, um, important details can be very subtle. So what did they do? They ask for him. They ask for his help. He tells them what to do. It might feel and seem obscure. Get a new bowl, put some salt in it. What do they do? They do it. They do what he tells them to do. Verse 21. Then he went to the spring of water. He threw salt in it. And he said, and he makes it very clear, by whose power this is happening. It's not through the salt. It's not through him. Thus says Yahweh. I have healed this water and from now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it so we know a little more the land is unfruitful the city looks great from the outside but the land agriculturally was unfruitful the waters were deadly they caused death in adults they caused women to have miscarriages this place is toxic the waters are toxic And terrible. Until the word of the Lord. I have healed this water from now on. Neither death nor miscarriage. Shall come from it. Now. So this book is being written. Years. After the prophecy was made. Look at what the writer says in verse 22. So the water. Has been healed to what? To this day. Many years in the future. According to the word that Elisha spoke. So, not to belabor you with details, but passages like this do require some explanation because what's happening here is amazing and is going to relate to what happens with the she-bears. Why is this significant? Again, this, this gives you goosebumps when you understand all that is being symbolized here. So... Like, just get ready. This is is good stuff. This is gold, my friends. So, many years ago, what happened to this city? Do you remember what happened to Jericho when the people of God came in and invaded the land and Jericho would not capitulate? The people of God, they marched around the city six days. They marched around the city, what, seven times on the seventh day. And then what happened to the walls? They came down. And the people of God invaded and conquered, and following the victory, do you remember what Joshua did? He cursed the city. And he said, Cursed are you. And if you rebuild this city, the rebuilding will come at the cost of your firstborn and your children. Remind me who cursed it? Joshua. What was Joshua's role back in the day? Where did he lead people across on dry land? Into Canaan. He led people across the Jordan. Okay, from the west side of the Jordan to the east side of the Jordan into Canaan. What do you think is being said about Elisha? He is the new Joshua. When he takes Elijah's cloak, And he taps that water and that water is split and he crosses over onto dry land into Canaan. He is the new Joshua and now he is rolling back Joshua's covenant curse on this city. When the people of God showed humility and repentance and responsiveness to God's word, what happened to Jericho? The covenant curses were lifted. They received forgiveness and restoration. What happened to the waters of the city? They were healed. What is this passage going to teach, as Dave said? It teaches the kindness of God. And it's going to teach the severity of God. Elisha was not doing this in his own power. He says he's doing this in the name of the Lord. The covenant curse on Jericho was rolled back And that can happen at the pleasure and discretion of God Almighty who shows mercy on those who seek him. That's the point to the original reader as they're trying to understand how to live in the land that God has regiven them. The kindness of God, the mercy of God. Elisha was God's man to do that. The new Joshua. Joshua. Isn't that amazing? I'm sorry. Just in terms of the witness of God's redemptive storyline, that is mind-blowing, all that is going on. That's the problem with like, you know, with, with guys like Joe Rogan, and I used to be this way before I came to Christ. You just don't understand what you're dealing with. You don't understand the sophistication, the intricacy. The beauty, the wonder of God's word. You don't understand it. You have no idea what you're dealing with. He was walking on holy ground, and he didn't know it. Okay, let's land the plane in verses 23 through 25. So 15 through 18, Elisha's being confirmed as God's prophet. He speaks God's word, okay? In the next section, 19 through 22, okay, he brings... Forgiveness and mercy and restoration to those who seek the Lord and seek grace, the kindness of God, and now we have its opposite. Whereas Joshua had the authority to lay out a covenant curse, so does the new Joshua to those who reject Yahweh. This isn't about little boys making fun of someone's male pattern baldness. Don't think that. That's not what this is about. This is deadly serious. Verse 23, he went up from there, Elisha did. He went from Jericho, he goes to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him saying, go up you bald head, go up you bald head. Elisha turned around and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she bears, two female bears, two mother bears, they came out of the woods and they mauled. 42 of the boys. From there, he went to Mount Carmel. And from there, he returned to Samaria. Again, so much background that the reader needs to know. Where did this happen? This wasn't a coincidence that it happens in Bethel. Do you know what Bethel literally means in the Hebrew? It means house of God, okay? Why do they keep saying go up? To Bethel. Bethel was on a high place. Do you know what Bethel was infamous for by this time? Okay, take a sip of your coffee. Not going to belabor it, but just going to tell you. When Jeroboam secedes from Israel, okay, and he's setting up the northern kingdom, he chooses a rival religious capital for the people of God to worship in. Jeroboam didn't want the people of God to go down to Jerusalem to worship. He was concerned they would go back and submit to Rehoboam. So he sets up a counterfeit place of worship where he sets up a golden calf and says, this is your God. Where did he do it? He did it in Beth El. He did it in the city of God. He changed the city of God into the city of the golden calf. And it had been a place of apostasy and abomination ever since. Now this, I'm gonna give you another connection. So that, so when he's going up to Bethel, he's going up to the place where Baal worship and the worship of Yahweh had been all mixed together in a terrible recipe. That's where Elisha was going, okay? Furthermore, Furthermore, um, Jericho was not rebuilt many years after Joshua's curse. You're good, this is going to blow your mind, blow your mind. Jericho gets rebuilt in First Kings 12 by a man named Hile. Where do you think Hile happened to be from? Bethel. So a man named Hile from Bethel decides, disregarding Joshua's curse, it would be a good time to rebuild the city of Jericho. It looks like a beautiful place to live. You know, it's grown back up. It looks nice. This is ridiculous, all this Joshua stuff. So Hile rebuilt the city in 1 Kings 12. What did it come at the cost of, according to 1 Kings 12? His sons, when they rebuilt the city. Things had been going terrible ever since. Think of all that background when Elisha is going up to Bethel. He's just healed Jericho from the curse, okay, because people from Bethel had rebuilt the city when they shouldn't have. Now he's going up to Bethel. And these young boys are there. I don't know if you have, your, you know, if you have a study Bible there. I can't tell you how much ink has been spilt on trying to figure out the age of these young boys. In the Hebrew, it literally means little boy, young boy. But the problem with Hebrew is it didn't have nearly the vocabulary that like English would. They didn't have the selection for words that we have today. I mean, we have so many different words to describe the same thing. Like if I looked at someone who's very handsome, like Paul Kruger, I could say he's handsome, debonair, dashing, all these other things. or He's a good guy, this Paul. Um, but we have so many more words at our disposal. The Hebrews didn't have as many words at their disposal, so there was a, a wide age, age range that could be involved in these two Hebrew words that mean young boys. Scholars say it can go all the way from like a little boy, eight or nine, to someone in their 30s. All it means in the Hebrew is a man of marriageable age who's not yet the head of his house. That's real helpful, isn't it? You know, when trying to determine the exact age of the boys. Without doing all the math, I think the boys are probably 17, 18, or 19. They're probably, they're probably of the royal house in Bethel. They're probably prophets in training. They weren't playing on the playground when some bald guy walks by, okay, and make fun of him. They came out intentionally. What did they say to him? They said, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. As a prophet of God, Elisha probably had had his head shorn or shaved. It was probably connected to some kind of prophetic vow. And so in saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head, that phrase, go up, you think that's a coincidence? Where did Elisha, I'm sorry, southern problem, Elijah, where did Elijah go in the text over and over again? He went up, he was taken. He had gone up. When they said, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head, you prophet of the living God, you go where your master went, okay? Paraphrase, get out of here. You are not welcome here. You go away just like Elijah did. This was a religious and informed, a spiritual, formal rejection of the God of Israel, What have we gone out of our way to show? To reject Elisha, the new Joshua, is to reject whom? The living God that sent him. To reject God's prophet and God's word from his mouth is to reject Yahweh himself. This was a formal rejection of the living God and when Elisha, as the new Joshua issues a covenant curse, what does Yahweh do? He responds in kind. And two female bears came out of that woods and mauled 42 of those boys. And I guarantee you, if they survived, they never said a bad word about Elisha as long as they lived. What do we have in this passage? The kindness of God and the severity of God. The kindness, the forgiveness, the restoration of God to those who humbly seek him, the severity of God in judgment to those who reject him. Where does this all come together? This all comes together through the person and work of the Lord Jesus. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was talking to the two most important characters in the Old Testament. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I promise I'm almost done. Stay with me one more minute and we're done. Who was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17? Moses and who? Elijah. Elijah. The disciples are talking, Peter's prattering away, God the Father rebukes him, and he says, this is my beloved son. Does he say, listen to them like the three of them, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? Is that what God the Father says? He says, no, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Everything's bound up in your response to this one figure. What was Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah about, according to Luke, about his exodus? The kindness of God and the severity of God come together in the person of Christ. In the new covenant, those who listen to Jesus, regardless of the things that they have done, regardless of the curses that are due them, those who trust in Jesus experience what? In the new, new covenant, grace grace and mercy, and forgiveness, and restoration, and in the new covenant, those who reject Jesus, regardless of the good things they have done, to formally reject Jesus, and ultimately finally reject him, is to meet with the what? The severity of God. God did not send, would not have sent his son Jesus to die if there was any other way of gaining access to the blessings of the covenant other than by trusting in the finished work of God and Jesus Christ. The kindness of God, the severity of God are fulfilled in the person of Christ depending on how you respond to him. May all of us in this room trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to know the kindness of God. Pray with me, our gracious God, we just... Wow, there's so much richness to his, this passage. It relates to so much that came before and, and relates to so much and foreshadows so much and looks forwards to so much that comes after it through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kindness of God, the severity of God wrapped up into one person. May we know by the power of your Holy Spirit that we are the beneficiaries of your kindness to us in him because Jesus received the full severity of the holiness of wrath of God. Because of that, help us to find refuge and hope in salvation in Jesus. We pray in his matchless name, amen.